0: Well, happy Father's Day, Three Crosses family. My name is AJ Venegas. I'm the pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship here at Three Crosses. And today we are talking about the song, Papa was a Rolling Stone, going over 1 Timothy chapter three, verses eight to 13. We got a great episode today for you. And so with that, let's go deeper. Well, joining us back in the podcast studio, sitting across from me is Pastor Danny Strange. Pastor Danny, happy Father's Day to happy you. Happy
1: Father's Day to you, AJ. Yeah,
0: it's been a great Sunday and uh, we get to talk more about this passage, which is loaded with some questions. I can't wait to get to them today. So I want to start off where we typically start off because I think uh, the context becomes really important when we talk about... First Timothy. I know in the passage we get into a lot of different cultural conversations going on. And so before we even jump into First Timothy chapter three verses eight to 13, I wanted to stop and ask what exactly is going on in the context of First Timothy? And why do you feel like this context influenced you to want to speak to the men of our Three Crosses family here on Father's Day?
1: That's funny. That the reason I chose this passage for Father's Day has nothing to do with the context of 1 Timothy, but <laughs> the context of 1 Timothy is, like you said, actually really helpful in understanding the truths that we bring out from the text this week in the sermon. Timothy is a pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, uh, which means that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to a young pastor, church planter, leader named Timothy, uh, who was kind of the representative planter over all these different churches, most likely in, in the Ephesus region. And he was writing this letter to coach Timothy on on how to lead church and churches, how to oversee different issues in the church. The real, the, the focus of 1 Timothy is, is written in chapter 3, verse 13, where he says that, I write this letter so that you might instruct people to know how one ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. So obviously there were some issues going on in the churches of Ephesus. You see uh, men and women fighting. You see people's grasping for leadership. Uh, you see men fighting against each other. So a lot of the first, especially the first two or three chapters of Timothy, First Timothy, are Paul instructing Timothy how to kind of quiet everyone down. Right? Tell the men to stop arguing, but use their words to pray instead. Tell these women to stop trying to seize authority but set up a good authority structure for your church, right? There was all this different strife happening. And so Paul is writing this letter to instruct people how to conduct themselves in church, to conduct or to teach Timothy how to lead these churches and how to kind of craft and form the boundaries of these churches uh, in a way that's honoring to God and that leads to flourishing. And so that's the context of the book, which is helpful in talking about the character of church leadership, which we talk about in the, the sermon on Sunday. Honestly, though, I chose the passage because the the song Papa Was a Rolling Stone in our summer playlist series, I felt like was a great song to draw out on Father's Day because it is a song about legacy, conducting yourself as a father, an example of a poor father. And when I looked at the categories of terribleness of the father in the song, I recognized pretty quickly that the exact categories of the song matched up with the categories of faithfulness needed to serve in God's church in a passage like 1 Timothy 2 verses 8 and following. And so I actually chose this passage because it really overlapped the character of a leader in the church with the poor character of the father in Papa was a rolling stone by the temptation. So that's where we got the passage today.
0: I got to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever listened fully to that song. So uh, that
1: blows <laughs> my mind. That blows my mind. I guess I, Classic uh, 1972 one. number one Billboard hit Grammy award-winning song. The last song that Temptations ever released. It's a great song. You should listen to it.
0: Yeah. I got to do my homework next time before I get on this podcast. But um, yeah. The verse that we're looking at in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse eight, starts by saying, in the same way, deacons. And so I wanna actually pause there after five words, but I think it's important to wrap our minds around what uh, this book is talking about when we say deacons. It sounds like a very Christian word, it sounds like a word, uh, you know, maybe you've been at different churches and maybe they had uh, a board of deacons or whatever. Um, so I wanted to pause here and ask what exactly is a deacon? Um, how does the the context again, help us understand what's going on with this word deacon? Uh, because we're just reading about elders in a couple of verses before, and now we're talking about this deacon, whatever this is. <laughs> and how does this conversation play itself out in our own church structure here at Three Crosses?
1: Yeah. So deacon is, I think they kept that word because it's really closely related to the Greek word diakonos. Diakonos, the diaconate is the deaconship of a church. Um, and that's the Greek word that really literally means servant. I think uh, probably the closest thing outside of the church context in the first century, the word uh, diakon, uh, diakonos is kind of like a, a waiter, like a table servant. I think where we see the concept of deaconship in the church uh, fleshed out most early on in the New Testament church is in the book of Acts when there's a a conflict going on within the early church where some people aren't being served well. uh, And the apostles say, and I don't know if they use the word deaconship in this exclamation, but they say, you know, it's, they're running out of bandwidth. They say it's not right for us to neglect our primary role, the ministry of the word of god, to wait on tables, uh in sense of like running the meal ministry of the church. Let's let's commission some folks to run this ministry for us. And so we see in in the book of Acts, I think it's what chapter 6? Acts 6. Yeah. Acts chapter 6, they have uh kind of the first commissioned formal servants in the body life of the church, not the elders, not the apostles, uh, but these men in that case who serve underneath them. These are men are full of Holy Spirit, full of faith, um, and they're commissioned. And a lot of times in church, we see that uh, men are primarily commissioned in this first wave of forming the boundaries of what a role is. And so I'm not surprised that the first wave of deacons uh, were a bunch of men uh, who represented these these Greek um, believers who are being neglected in the, the meal service of the church. Later, as the New Testament emerges, we see here, like in Timothy, we see men and women as part of the deaconship of the church. We see later uh, men and women who are are deacons in a, some sort of formal capacity serving in the church. We see Phoebe named as a deacon later uh, in the, the New Testament. And so we see there's a, a little bit of a, a development of what this office is in the church, which we believe here at Three Crosses, there are two formal offices in the church, elders and deacons, elders are the men who are commissioned to oversee the affairs of the church, primarily in leadership, teaching, shepherding. And then the deaconship are the men and women we believe in the church who are called to serve in an official capacity, whether they're leading a meals ministry like they did in Acts chapter six, or uh, they're serving in some other official capacity. And so here at Three Crosses, we actually don't have a formal deaconship. Like no one has deacon on their name tag or their badge. No one knows they're a deacon. But we use the spirit of deaconship as a church um, and the passage that requires the character and, and uh, spiritual like vitality of deaconship. Whenever we talk about a f- people who are serving at our church in an official capacity under the authority of our elders in three areas, in areas that require leadership, teaching, or shepherding there's really no real rhyme or reason why we chose those three areas. Besides those are three major categories in the scriptures of what church leadership looks like. Uh, But so for us, you can serve uh, in our kids ministry at a check-in station without being a you know, you could be anybody. Just step in and say, hey, I want to help out. Great. We'd love to have you help out, right? You can come and lead in ver- a lot of places. You can come and wash dishes in the cafe. You can uh, go and help set up for a Bible study, do a lot of different things, right? But if you're going to be leading at a formal level, if you're a life group leader, if you're going to be shepherding at a formal level, right, you're a small group leader for high school kids, or uh, you're a care ministry leader, or or you're going to be teaching at a formal level, right? You're teaching a class, like your father-in-law teaches a class on Sunday mornings. Uh, we hold those men and women uh, to the requirements of deaconship in character, spiritual vitality, all these different things. And so um, that's kind of how we honor this concept at our church as we try to live in this kind of large-scale environment with um, tons of people serving everywhere, but wanting to have some kind of bar of character and spiritual vitality uh, for some level of leadership. So that's how we we do it here.
0: Yeah, on Sunday, I loved what you did by taking this deacon concept and then turning it um, and saying, hey, these are leaders. These are just leaders in life. And so we get this list of qualifications for uh, what it means to be a deacon or a leader. They are, one, to be worthy of respect, two, sincere, three, not indulging in much wine, and four, not pursuing dishonest gain. The list goes on. Five, they must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. Six, they must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. If we jump down to verse 12, we get number seven, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and eight must manage his children and his household well. It's, oh man, listening to this. And I know there was a lot of fill in the blanks points in your sermon. Uh, You know, godly role models have trustworthy speech. Their appetites are under control. They pursue honest work. They operate out of the depths of spiritual maturity. And there was something in me and maybe other people out there, I don't know. But um, I think you hit it right on the head of this self-critical response, being like, man, this list sounds so exhausting. I I know what changes I need to make, but man, I've been trying to do this and it's hard. There's like this exhausted lens you could look at this Deacon passage through. And then you you came around and said, you know, God really doesn't require perfection. It seems that God requires you to trust in Jesus deeply and grow into his image over time, presence and progress, not perfection. And so thinking about these two perspectives, I almost sense a tension or a spectrum of people being on the self-critical side or people being on, um, you know, if I'm present and slowly making progress, uh, I don't have to be perfect. And I wonder if there's dangers on both sides here. Maybe there's a danger of being overly self-critical and always beating yourself up. Or maybe on this side, there is this danger of, you know, if God doesn't require me to be perfect, maybe I can strive for the bare minimum. And so I'm wondering if you could walk us through the tension that you wrestled with as you, uh, you know, engage with these points and uh, saw these two uh, polar opposite sort of lenses that we see the scripture through.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, the one thing I'd push back on what you just said is I wonder, is there anyone in this world who actually strives for the bare minimum? Because <laughs> striving is hard. Sure. And so if your yeah. bar is the bare minimum, you're probably not going to be doing anything hard, right? So it's either you settle for the bare minimum or you strive towards, <laughs> you know, you're not, yeah, not perfection necessarily, but but as I kind of wrestle through this, I feel like I would guess by and large, there's probably two groups of people in the world as it relates to this concept. There's people who are like, listen, I am who I am. Take me or leave me. I'm fine. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who cares? Right? You look at the, the list of this qualification. Like I'm going to drink what I want to drink. Right. I'm going to party how I want to party. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to treat my wife how I treat my wife. I'm me. Take me or leave me. Right. Like who cares? That kind of person. And then there's the other person who's like, no, I want to be a good person. Right. I want to be like the categorical imperative for deacons and deaconesses worthy of respect, right? I want to be a respectable person. I want to be uh, seen as a, a good person, a good role model, a godly leader. And and I would think the reason I think the self-critical nature is there is for people who are on that side of the coin, who are like, no, actually, I want to be a respectable person. I want to be seen as a role model, respectable. We've got some vision in our mind of what that is. And I feel like it's probably harder <laughs> to try to strive to be just good enough than to either say, I don't care, or I want to be a good person. And so I think what I was trying to draw out even in the tension or the the striving there is the vision we have of perfection is in our mind. And that's something that's good because it drives us towards what's good a lot of in a lot of ways. But, but even let's talk about elders and deacons, right? Elders aren't called to be perfect either. But when you look at the qualifications for elder, the categorical imperative is elders are to be above reproach, hmm. right? No one can say anything about this man. Like he's... He's a spiritual leader. There's no weird question mark in his life uh, that would make me say, I don't think that person should lead in God's church. right? We wouldn't say, well, yeah, deacons, you can have questionable behavior. But at <laughs> right. the same time, you do see a bit of a downgrade <laughs> where it's like, hey, deacons, you don't have to be above reproach where it's like, like squeaky clean. But for deacons, it's like, well, you need to be respectable people, like folks that others look up to. Now, right, we see that same thing in the difference in role between elders and deacons, right? Where deacons need to hold the deep truths of the faith with a, faith with a clear conscience. They need to deeply believe uh, what we're all about as a church and deeply believe the essentials of the faith. Elders need to be able to teach it. And so that's part of their role. Like elders are, are the teaching uh, arm of the church by and large. And those elders need to be able to teach the doctrine to the people. Deacons, you don't have to, if you're a deacon, you have to be able to teach all the theology of the church but you got to believe it, right? And so it's like, that's not necessarily a downgrade. That's a skills and giftedness thing. But um, even on a spectrum towards perfection, there's a less high bar for men and women who are called into the office of deaconship than there is for the office of eldership, which on the flip side of that, Paul says, and if an elder goes into a moral failure, you rebuke him publicly, like this is a big deal, right? A a moral failure for an elder in the church is going to affect the church way more than a moral failure of a deacon. But of course, none of us should want to experience any of them. So <laughs> right. I think that's a little bit of how this spectrum works in my mind.
0: I know there was an effort to, you know, wrap leaders and deacons into this conversation, but it is Father's Day. And I know that uh, men out there are struggling with all sorts of different stuff. So what does this conversation of, you know, um, presence and progress and not perfection look like for um, you know, your typical three crosses father that's out there.
1: Yeah, I love that in this passage, we see kind of a, almost like a Venn diagram, right? If you can imagine that, which if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry, like two overlapping circles, right? And so on the left side of the circle, there are things that are only true of one circle on the right side of the, or the right circle, things are only true of that circle. And in the middle, there's all these qualifications. We kind of see in this, okay, both men and women are called into this office of deaconship. And yet the character required, obviously both of them, it says need to be worthy of respect. But it's very interesting and a reminder that men and women are different, that what it means to be a respectable man is different than what it means to be a respectable woman. And so you read a number of different qualifications. Of course, they overlap. It's not like it's okay to be an alcoholic female and be a deacon of the church, right? But at the same time, this speaks to our struggles. This speaks to uh, some cultural norms and what gender is in society. Um, But I think, as I think of men on Father's Day— some of the things that I were thinking were this I, I think men and women are equally good at being self-critical <laughs> uh, but I do think on this concept of of leadership with legacy part of me wonders if if some of that mo- is more leaning towards men categorically right and when I say categorically it's like I guarantee there's a ton of women out there who think a lot about their legacy there are a ton of men out there who don't right but by and large, when I think of our culture, I I think of most of the conversations I have with people who are thinking about how I'm going to uh, live well in the second half of life are coming with men, right? Most of what I see in culture making fun of midlife crises are the men who are having midlife crises. Most of the books, even on our outline, I recommended four different books that kind of talk about finishing well on the second half of life. They're all written by men, directed towards men, overlapping with the thoughts of men. Um, and so I I do wonder as as we're talking about character and legacy and influence on the next generation, obviously I would believe that men and women equally want to influence their kids, their grandkids, their their uh, mentees, all that. Well, uh, but I I was thinking specifically about fathers who uh, have themselves up at night wondering what influence am I having on my children? Uh, what impact am I leaving in this world? Am I leaving a legacy? And if you're a woman out there and you're like, and Danny, I wake up at night, think about that all the time too. You are welcome to, but I think that's, um, I don't think that's necessarily more prevalent to men, but I think there's something in that that connects with men mm-hmm. culturally or even naturally as a species or a subspecies of humanity, um, and I was thinking about that on Father's Day as we preach to the men in the audience about what their experience is, thinking about legacy, what keeps them up at night. And so some of the illustrations that I gave and examples I gave came through the lens of fatherhood since it was on Father's Day. But I do look at this Venn diagram and say, this is about men and women. So I would guess that most humans deal with most of these things.
0: So let's go to the landmine in this passage Ooh, Okay, let's uh, do it. and bring out the uh, skeptic question.
1: I've... Can I, I've done this before. You need a sound bite that plays when you say
0: that, but continue. (laughs) Might be a clip from Papa was a Rolling Stone or something like that. Dun, dun, dun. Don't copyright strike us. But verse 11 is the key passage that theologians have been wrestling with a long time. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. You might be thinking, what's so skeptical or questionable about that. Well, uh, this translation is the NIV translation, which the key phrase here, in the same way, the women. However, if you have an ESV Bible or even a King James Bible, you might notice that the translation says, likewise, their wives. One interpretation suggests that this conversations around deacons should Only revolve around men and their wives. It's not necessarily talking about deacons as women. It's talking about deacons and deacons' wives. So the conversation entirely revolves around men. The other interpretation actually would say that this can include both men and women. And I know this has ramifications on how churches structure their governance authority. And, you know, a lot of conversations revolve around this landmine of a topic. And so I know there are great thinkers on each side. What do you see here? And what stance have we taken here at Three Crosses when it comes to deacon? And what role do women have in this conversation around deaconship?
1: Yeah, you can tell by the way that I've been talking and the way that I preach my sermon that I'm one of the people that believe that Timothy, uh, First Timothy is talking about deacon and the female deacons, not deacons and the wives of the deacons. And so I'll tell you why I have the position I have. And yeah, there are different denominations and churches um, and Bible translations that have gone the other direction saying, um, no, it's not talking about the female deacons. It's talking about the wives of the deacons. You know, at a Greek level, that's what's difficult, right? Is the way to say either of those things are the same two words, right? It's their women. So it's either the women among them, like the female deacons, or the women of the male deacons and wife and woman in the Greek language, gune, is the same word. So it's either their wives, the deacons' wives, or their women, the women of the deacons. Uh, And so we don't get anything from the Greek language that's helpful. That's why there's two different interpretations. So the reason that I land where I land, a couple of reasons. Number one, Is because we see female deacons in the New Testament. I mentioned Phoebe, who was a female deacon. Uh, That's for me, it's like, okay, well, we have a use case. So either Paul um, was really, I mean, to be charitable, Paul might've just been calling her a servant. Deacon means servant. Maybe she wasn't a capital D deacon. She was a servant in the church. just like every church has volunteers, servants in the church, right? So maybe that's not ironclad. Uh, But at the same time, I feel like for me, the thing that would be a little bit strange is I can't think of any other Area of leadership in the entire Bible where someone's spouse's character determines their suitability for the position, Hmm. most notably elders in the paragraph preceding this paragraph. Right? So, we see we talked about eldership a little bit, right? Uh, Above reproach, a lot of the same things. A husband of one wife manages his household well, silent on their wives or their women, right? Which we take to mean it's silent on their women because there are no female elders. Uh, elders is a Elder is a category reserved for men. And again, there's arguments on the other side of that too. But it's as far as we believe, we're talking about deacons today. When we get to deacons though, all of a sudden this role, which is less, has less high qualifications, right? Worthy of respect. They don't need to teach the word. Now all of a sudden it's so important the character of their wives. So it feels like, why is it that a deacon's wife can disqualify him from service, but an elder's wife, it doesn't matter, right? If my wife as the senior <laughs> pastor of the church was a non-believer, I could totally be the senior pastor, sure. But if if somebody wants to go and re- run the Cafe Four ministry or the meals ministry and their spouse is an unbeliever, that would be a deal breaker. It's like, that just feels a little bit, Right. that doesn't make logical sense going beyond First Timothy, there's nowhere in the Bible where someone's spouse determines their suitability for a role. Obviously, there's all these warning passages about yoking yourself with an unbeliever, about the detriment of having a wife or a husband that's not on board with you, um, all over the Bible. But in terms of prescription, this would be the only place that someone's spouse, uh, their character matters at that level, which has led some who are in the conservative male deacons-only camp to say, actually, though, what this means is service and deaconship is a male, female, husband and wife cooperative. The reason that the wife's character matters is because she's a deacon too. Y'all are deacons together. And to which I would argue, then you have male and female deacons, right? So I just don't think it's wives. I think it's the women among them because now they're talking about the character qualities of the women. And we see that exuded in a beautiful deaconess like Phoebe, who has all those character qualities and is extolled for her placing of that role, right? Part of the argument about male only would go back to Acts chapter six. And my argument there would say, hey, in Acts chapter six, as this role was first being formed, that's kind of how the natural progression of manhood and womanhood works in the scriptures is the men tend to be the ones who establish the boundaries of something new and then once those boundaries are set and it's a safe place for flourishing, men and women alike step into those places and serve side by side. And so I see that lived out in deaconship in the New Testament. I see that as the most logical reading of 1 Timothy 2. And if you want to argue that with me, you totally can. Um, but that's my argument there.
0: And so what does your position mean for women here at Three Crosses?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if we have a statement on gender and leadership here at the church. That's one of our kind of, as people ask, hey, what do you guys believe about these things? We, we share that with them in our membership class and all that. And part of our passion is we want to see men and women serving together in everywhere that, that we can in the church, right? We, we do believe we say that the office of elder is reserved for men, but at the same time in a church our size, we believe that there are very few things that you must be an elder to do. And so um, our elders are exercising church discipline. Our elders are the ones who have signed up to die for this thing. So, right. So when COVID hit and we were sending people into the hospitals, I told our team, Hey, if you're an elder here, I'm sorry, you got to put your life on the line and go visit the sick. If you're not an elder, it's up to you, but you haven't signed up to die for this thing. The elders have, right? And so um, we feel like the, the elders, the male elders of our church are the ones who are putting their lives on the line for this place, guarding from error, kicking out people, all those things that like are the protection function of the church. We feel like the elders are, primarily responsible for the teaching of the church. And at the same time, well, we love to mobilize men and women alike to, to serve in all of the different roles of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all over our campus. And so we're gonna see men and women serving in kids' ministry side-by-side, teaching men and women serving in high school ministry side-by-side, even on our ministry leadership team. Men and women are serving as ministry directors all over our staff. We got Lauren, who's our middle school to ministry director. We've got Ashley, who's leading our Cafe Four, is our Cafe Four ministry director, right? We also have men who are leading ministry at that capacity, right? When Ryan G was our middle school director, he was our middle school director. So we love to see men and women serving together as often as possible in the church. And one of the commitments I make to people is, hey, if you see a spot in our church where our elders aren't the ones presiding over that spot, our hope is that you would see men or women in equal capacity serving in that place or side by side together because we love mobilizing men and women to use their gifts to serve in the body of Christ under the authority of the eldership.
0: It's a beautiful picture of godly role models and godly leadership. And it wraps up at verse 13 here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, which says those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And so in the text here, it seems like this word diakonos or service becomes this type of key that gets you excellent standing and great assurance in the Christian faith. And so what is so important about Serving um, when it comes to this entire conversation, what is so important um, about becoming a, a servant leader? That's a word you hear a lot in the church. Why is servant and service uh, wrapped up into the plan of God here for men and women alike?
1: Yeah, I would say, first of all, when you read this verse, verse, you said verse what 13 there, uh, that those who serve well as deacons. The Greek is just those who deacon well, right? So <laughs> right. Um, there's a lot of English words there. It's so funny. They used the word deacon earlier. Now they can't use the word deacon, but right. they turn yeah. deacon into a verb and they say, Hey, those who did a you know, were good deacons, right? So yeah, they they deaconed well. So they did a good job in this task they were commissioned to do in the church. Uh, they they gain a good standing for themselves, right? So I do think part of that is a good standing in the church, right? So it's you know, sometimes I'll give a reference for somebody and say, hey, they're a member in good standing. This is somebody who uh, we trust is a believer in Jesus. They're serving with their whole heart. We see them living out the character requirements of what it means to be a a servant in the church, a deacon in the church. They're a member in good standing. They're a deacon in good standing. They gain a good standing for themselves by doing a good job at an official thing. Also, they have great confidence in their faith. And I think part of it's like, hey, if if you hold deep the the faith, the the truth of the faith of the clear conscience, which is the requirement of deacons. You live out your faith in the context of the church. You're praised um, in a sense as, man, this person's a member in good standing. You can be pretty sure you have confidence in your faith. I am really a believer because the community has like looked at you and pointed at you and say, I think there's something real in that person. I think at a deeper level, part of the reason that service is so connected uh, with our faith and its standing and our character is that service is the posture of Jesus. And we see Jesus is the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and Mm -hmm. give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, He said that about himself. The son of man came for that reason. Uh, We see that in Philippians 2, talking about Jesus had equality with God, didn't consider that something to be grasped, but instead took the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And even when Jesus talked about the economics or the, uh, I don't know how you'd say it, the the hierarchy in a sense of the kingdom of God, like we talked about two weeks ago, uh, he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be last and a servant of all. This is what Jesus commissions those who want to be great in his kingdoms do is you lead by servant mindedness, right? I think of Pastor Larry in our church, right? He was not a deacon. He was an elder in our church, but I think part of the reason that people will extol his faith and his greatness as a pastor is they would say stuff like, man, I was at the men's retreat and Larry's there picking up chairs, right? I saw Larry sweeping the parking lot. He's not too good to do anything, right? He's a servant of people. He's leaving his house in the middle of the night to visit somebody in the hospital. He's servant-minded. He's not saying, put me on a pedestal, I'm in charge of this place, right? But even a human example for us in this last generation, Larry is someone who led as a servant of all. Um, And I think by doing that, he great he." gained great standing for himself, a well-respected, admired leader. That's not why he did it, but he gained that for himself. And right, if if we're wondering, hey, is Pastor Larry a Christian? I think everyone that knows him would say, yes, if anyone's a Christian, he is, right? And he did that because he he lived out his faith in service of God and in service of others in the context of the local church.
0: One of the things you left off in the sermon was a question, are you worthy of respect? And uh you know, there's a chance that some of you out there are saying no, like there's a chance that your life seems to be in shambles and, uh, you know, maybe God is pulling on your heart somewhere. So if that's you listening out there, we'd encourage you to reach out and, uh, you know, get plugged into the community, uh, start studying the scriptures, start, you know, having conversations with people, uh, ironing this stuff out. And uh, we'd love to chat with you, aj at threecrosses.org if you want to email me about the podcast. But um, yeah, Pastor Danny, thank you for that example and reminding us to take the heart of a servant, as Jesus said, becoming a servant of all.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the podcast.